Welcome back to the Wednesday Bible study from the Rick and Bubba Broadcast Plaza and Teleport. So good to be with you again. Uh, those that are watching live right now, or maybe you know, you're catching this on an archive on our YouTube channel or our podcast channel, uh, or you've just gone to BurgessMinistries.com and you, you've clicked on the media button there and you're, you're listening. Whatever the case may be, we're glad that you are here. This Wednesday Bible study has been going on for four years, and we just finished the Gospel of John. We went 33 sessions, uh, taking every word, word for word, uh, through the Gospel of John. And if you um, missed any of those, or maybe you missed all of it, and you'd love to go back and walk through the Gospel of John, you certainly can find those archives in the places that I just named for you. Uh, also, don't forget about themanchurch.com. For those of you that are uh, watching this or listening to this, and maybe you're in men's ministry, or uh, you know this started out as a men's only Bible study. I know that there are women who, who listen to it and watch it uh, every week, and we certainly welcome you as well. Uh, but at the heart of this is men's ministry, and if there's any way we can help you implement a discipleship strategy for the men of your church or your community, maybe you're an individual that you're looking for resources to grow spiritually, uh, we have uh, all sorts of items available for you at themanchurch.com. And if you would like for someone to help you, you can contact us there also. Uh, we're starting a brand new series today. It is called The Unsaved Christian. Uh, it comes from this book uh, that I'm holding here if you're watching. If you're listening, it's by Dean and Sarah, uh, and it's available uh, in audio and also in printed form uh, everywhere that, um, uh, that, that books are sold. Uh, this is something for some of you that have been with the Bible study for four years. I want to caution you a little bit against an attitude of, well, we've covered a lot of this, Rick. I mean, you, you've talked to quite a bit about, you know, cultural Christianity. A lot of you are familiar with my testimony, uh, someone who was delivered from cultural Christianity uh, to, to true re redemption. Uh, th that's why this is important to me. I know we've talked about it throughout various studies, but this study will be solely about it. it it'll, it'll be, uh, we'll focus the entire uh, series on cultural Christianity, what it looks like, how to reach people uh, who are cultural Christians, and of course the ultimate to examine ourselves and, and ask a very uncomfortable question, uh, am I really a Christian? Uh, I know I claim to be, and, and we'll unpack some of that today. Uh, and, and before you push back on that, because you have to have the attitude, that, and I have this attitude, that we're willing to assess everything about ourselves. Why? Because the Apostle Paul in the Bible tells us to do that. If you remember, the church at Corinth had a lot of open sin that was going on in this church. Paul had, had written to them over and over again. We have two of his letters that, that we have discovered and we have uh, in the Holy Bible. And, and one of the questions he finally asked at the end of, of 2 Corinthians he says in chapter 13, uh, in verse 5, um, he, he's talked about all the issues that he sees going on with people who claim to be Christians. And here's what he says. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test. So he's saying, examine yourselves. i got to ask this question. Are you even in the faith? Test yourselves. Do you not realize this about yourself? If you claim to be a Christian, then what you've said is that Jesus Christ is in you. And he says, so indeed, uh, you know, 
come to the conclusion, he hopes, that you really are a Christian. And then he says, unless, which is the other option, you fail to meet the test. So what is the test? Now, we have talked about that a lot uh, over the last four years, and I think a lot of you know that, that, that I feel called to make sure that we understand, and we've talked about many studies that, that point to this, uh, that uh, the gospel, I'm afraid, in America, in the Western church, and especially in the Bible Belt, which we will talk about, uh, that we've sold the power of Jesus way too low. Uh, I mean, there's almost this attitude out there that it really doesn't matter what your life looks like, and nothing ever really changes except that you become a believer in Jesus, uh, but then you just kind of go on about your business the way you always did other than some traditions. And, and we're going to try to take that on uh, in this study because I think it's extremely important. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for being with us today uh, as, as we go and we take this next step into what can be, uh, you know, the, we walk through your word. I mean, your word cuts. It, 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 it convicts us. We're going to stay talking, uh, uh, you know, about the things you've said about this topic. You know, those who claim to be with you, but they aren't. Uh, and we're going to walk through this, Lord, and I pray that you'll convict us with the Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, we'll be convicted if we are wrong and, and need to assess our relationship with you. But then you also affirm us. Uh, you know, I hope there's a lot of affirmation that comes with this study that goes, yeah, you know, those things, that's not the way that I live my life. Uh, I'm affirmed in my faith in Christ. Uh, whatever the case is, ultimately, I pray that you be glorified and lives be changed. Uh, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So in, in chapter one of the book, or, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit about the, the kind of the intro to the book, cultural Christianity uh, in many uh, Western churches, and, and I've seen this take place. This is one of the problems I think we have with cultural Christianity is that it really in the Western church goes unchallenged. If you decide to challenge it, uh, you get a lot of pushback, things like, who are you to judge? And uh, you're not the judge of someone's salvation. And, and all these things that have been used as defense mechanisms uh, throughout um, you know, the beginning of the, of the church age. And, and this has been going on for a long time, false teaching, uh, the false gospel. Um, and so what we're going to try to do is kind of put that aside, because if you've spent any time with us, uh, the Bible talks on and on and on about looking, and we'll hit some of the verses today, looking into your life or looking into the life of, of other people. And Jesus says, here's some things that should determine whether you are in the faith or whether a person is in the faith. So that's not a topic that is ignored in Scripture. As a matter of fact, uh, we'll talk a little bit about Matthew 7. Uh, when Jesus talks about this uh, as if he were standing in a Western church today, uh, talking about those that, that, that say things, but they, they don't really live it. So first of all, we're not going to be afraid to take on the elephant in the room, and that's cultural Christianity, which let me go ahead and you know, give you the, the end of the plot. Cultural Christianity isn't Christianity at all. And, and the reason why I'm also not afraid to take on this topic, obviously Pastor Dean and Sarah has written the book, but we certainly have talked about it in these Bible studies. And I'm not, I'm not afraid to talk about it. I feel called to talk about it. One of the main reasons is I was a cultural Christian. Look, you're, you're, you are listening to one or you're looking at one and listening to one. Rick Burgess was a cultural Christian. I spent a large part of my life thinking I was a Christian when I wasn't. And, and, if, and if someone had not decided to challenge my cultural Christianity, where would I be today? 
And, and y'all have heard my testimony. A pastor challenged my cultural Christianity, and I thank God every single time I pray uh, for the grace and the mercy and the fact that he loved me enough to make sure that I was challenged on my cultural Christianity that ultimately delivered me from hell. So it's important because I know there's a lot of other people in, in your life, if you're watching or listening to this, or maybe it is you uh, and in my life, that uh, if, if this just continues to go unchallenged, we really don't love these people. And if it continues to go unchallenged in our own life, we really don't have a desire to be right with Christ. We're still clinging to our version. You know, it's, it's funny that we talk about this. This is not in the book, but this is uh, some things that have happened in my life socially that really talk about this topic. I was talking with a, a friend of mine. A lot of you may know the financial guru, uh, Dave Ramsey. Well, Dave Ramsey has, you know, real clear ways that you're supposed to deal with your finances. You know, what does he say? Live like no one else so you can live like no one else. Uh, and so a friend of, of mine, uh, we were talking about Dave Ramsey, and we were both admitting that we are not disciples of Dave Ramsey. And I remember the statement was made, and, and, I, and I'm the same way, so I, this is not me belittling this person because I do the same thing. He said, well, I like to say at our house, we're on the modified Dave Ramsey plan, which really means I'm not on the Dave Ramsey plan. I saw some things in the Dave Ramsey plan that I applied, but the things that make me uncomfortable or I don't want to do, I don't. Uh, and I think, and, and, and this really speaks to this, and I remember uh, talking about this when I was in athletics and, and you know, a trainer would say, here's the workout today. And you know what I would do? I would do a modified version of the workout. And you know what happened? I didn't have the results that the workout was designed to achieve. You know why? Because I didn't do it the way it was said to be done. I did a modified version of it. And there's been a lot of things in my life that I have done a modified version of, including Christianity. But here's the problem. If you're doing a modified version of Christianity, you don't, you're not practicing Christianity at all. Well, I know what the Lord says, and I listen to it, and I modify it. Well, no, then that's, that's making, as we've said a thousand times in here over the last four years, I think it's time for us to stop, Rick Burgess included. I, I've committed to stopping this. It's time for us to stop trying to make God something we're more comfortable with, modify him to what we want him to be. We talked about this a lot in the Gospel of John. Everybody kept telling Jesus, what they wanted him to be, as opposed to just submitting to who he was. And so it's time for us to stop modifying God and allow God to modify us into what he says we should be, and only he can make us. So that's kind of um, uh, another example of what we're talking about. This was said, Dean and Sarah, the pastor, says this about America, and I think he's 100% right. America is the land of the overchurched and the underreached. There's so many people walking around in America that think they are, 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 are saved and they couldn't be more lost. Why? By the way they live their life, you can see it. They've, they've got a modified version of reconciliation to a holy God. So the focus of the book is, is on those who, who think they're fine with God because they are familiar with Christian things. I love that. You know, this book is focused on, on those out there. It may be you, it may be people you love, it may be people you know. And they think they're 100% fine with God, but really the only thing they can present that says, I think I'm fine with God, is a familiarity with Christian things. 
not a submission to a holy God, not 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 uh, wretched repentance, uh, not not any not any holiness. I'm just familiar with Christian things and rituals and um, you know I, I, and and you know traditions. So, uh, but that's not Christianity. So, in the first chapter, and I, and I was laughing about this the first time I read it. Uh, Dean and Sarah talks about him, you know, graduating from seminary and realizing that he was going back uh, to where he came from uh, within just a few miles of his house in Tallahassee, Florida. And, and he's talking with this friend, Matt, who's about to go plant a church in Northern California. And, and he feels like that, that his call to the, the Bible Belt is not as intriguing as his friend's call to Northern California. And he was, uh, he was corrected uh, very quickly uh, when his friend walked over to him and said, no, you're the one that has the more difficult task because you're going to a place in America uh, to pastor a local church where everybody in the Bible Belt thinks they're already saved. You have a much more difficult job than I do. Uh, he says, I'm going to Northern California where you're either a Christian or you're not. There, there's, there's no concept in Northern California of cultural Christianity. And, and because, see, where you're going, Dean, talking about Tallahassee, talking about the Bible Belt, where you're going, Dean, there's no concept of severity of sin. Man, I'm going to tell you what. I see this all the time in cultural Christianity. As if sin just doesn't matter. It, it, sin's not a big deal. He said, so in cultural Christianity, there's no concept of the severity of sin, the necessity of repentance, uh, no, no concept what the message of grace really means, and they have no real understanding of their overall message of the gospel in its entirety. There's just no concept of these things. I watched my beautiful wife, uh, you know, do a, it was a great tour, great tour. Uh, she was on a, a women's tour with uh, the Women of Faith, wonderful ministry, great conferences, wonderful women who, who teach great things. But I can tell you when I, when I watched what was going on in that presentation, there was only one message about repentance, and that was the one that my wife delivered. I mean, there was, the others were good, and I don't question uh, the, the spiritual maturity or health of any of the other speakers. There were some great women of God there. Please don't hear that. However, you know, you go to a lot of times to a lot of uh, conferences and things like that, and what you really hear are things that are supposed to motivate you and, and encourage you to you know, to, to, be, to be happy and, and to motivate you to, to just know how much God loves you and, and how important you are to God and da-da-da-da-da-da. And we kind of get a little bit reversed. Uh, really what it should all be about is that we're wretched sinners in dire need of reconciliation to a holy God. And, and without that reconciliation to a holy God, without being made fully righteous, uh, you know, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, really the, the, the deal is not for us to have God worship us, we're supposed to get on our face, cry holy, and worship Him. And, and I think that concept is sadly lost in cultural Christianity. Uh, it is practiced by Americans more than any other faith or religion. Uh, it's found rampant uh, in both the Catholic and the Protestant church. I want some of you that, that may kick the tires over here uh, that may be you know, either Protestant or Catholic, let me just give you a heads up. It doesn't matter whether you're Catholic or Protestant. Cultural Christianity reigns supreme in both. You know, so well, I'm I'm Protestant, so we don't have cultural Christians, or I'm Catholic, 
So I, no, it, it exists in both. Um, and it's really rampant in the Midwest and in the South. Uh, it, 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 it's got a problem everywhere in the West, but it is rampant in the Midwest and the Southern states. You know, these are the places, you know, where high school football games may still have a usually misused a Bible verse on a run-through sign. Uh, you know, you, you talk about these coaches that are saying, you know, we, I remember when I played high school football, and we would run onto the field in Alabama, and we would hold hands, and we would recite the Lord's Prayer, you know, as, as a regiment. And, and I, can't, I couldn't tell you, I bet 1% of the team uh, acted like they were a follower of Jesus. Now, we all said that Lord's Prayer. Nobody was offended by it. You know, it wasn't like there's pushback on it, which we'll get to here in a minute. Oh, and don't. And what about our patriotic celebrations? Oh man, we're the most patriotic people. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, around the dinner table, hey, we say the blessing and we give thanks to God. Uh, and everything that we're doing looks and sounds very Christian on the surface, but it's merely Christian by culture rather than conviction. Now I want you to write that down. That has a lot to do. Cultural Christianity is very Christian on the surface. But it's merely Christian by culture. It is not Christian by conviction. Meaning we pretty much carry on our life doing things that are in conflict with Scripture, and it doesn't bother us. So there's no, no conviction there. Uh, you know, it's Christian by culture, meaning this is part of our culture. I'm not offended by the Lord's Prayer. I'm not offended by somebody saying the blessing. I'm not offended by the Bible verse on the run-through sign. I'm not offended by the great martyrs that still say a prayer uh, over the uh, PA speaker. I love that. I'll stand up for prayer in schools. I do all that. But, but, the, but the true gospel of Jesus Christ is not part of the equation. Uh, now, now, remember, I'm not talking about people who don't believe in God. Cultural Christians believe in God, and, and they love traditions. Uh, they're, they're not atheists. They're not agnostic. A cultural Christian will be there to defend prayer in school. Uh, hey, they'll, they'll meet you at the pole. They'll, they'll do all that. Uh, they love protecting the nativity scenes. Oh, you start talking about people taking away nativity scenes and not saying Merry Christmas. Man, cultural Christians love all that stuff. Uh, they love bumper stickers uh, about all this kind of stuff. Man, Linus reading the Christmas story on Charlie Brown. Man, we love that. We get moved by that. It puts a little chill on us. And there's nothing wrong with any of the things I just said unless... That's all there is to your Christianity. Now, if that's just part of your sold-out devotion to Jesus Christ after you've repented as a wretched sinner and submitted to the authority of Jesus Christ and you're being sanctified and made holy and you actually obey His commands like we talked about in chapter 14 of the Gospel of John, if you want to add to that, defending prayer in school, defending nativity scenes, saying, hey, it's Christmas, we're going to say Merry Christmas, and sitting there with tears in your eyes when Linus reads the Christmas story. If you want to add that to being a devout follower of Jesus, there's nothing wrong with that. However, if devotion to Jesus is taking out and all you got are these other political issues and a cartoon, well, then you don't have, you don't have real Christianity. There's a lot of people that aren't bothered by those things, but they're not followers of Jesus. So that's the thing we have to understand. And th this sums it up. Write this down too. Cultural Christianity admires Jesus. Write that down. Kyle Edelman, another, uh, uh, another great book, um, or Kyle Edelman, I'm sorry, wrote the book Not a Fan. And he takes on this concept of cultural Christians where, where Kyle Edelman says he's not a fan of Jesus. Jesus got a lot of fans, but they didn't have a lot of followers. 
You know, and so the cultural Christian, he admires Jesus. He or she, they don't have any problem with Jesus. They'll even, you know, defend that uh, Christianity is the only, the only true religion. So, so they're admirers of Jesus, but deep down, the cultural Christian doesn't really think that Jesus is needed except to take the wheel in the middle of a crisis. Oh, now the cultural Christian gets all about Jesus when he or she is afraid. Pandemic right now, a lot of cultural Christians. And, they're, they, you know, and, and cultural Christians, you know what they're also fantastic about? Bible verses on social media. Oh, man. Hey, we'll bring out the Bible verses, and there's nothing wrong with that. I do that from time to time, but I hope that you'll, uh, I hope that you'll look into my life. If I'm on social media trying to point people to Jesus, I hope you look at, into my life and you see that I seem to live, not perfection, I certainly still stumble, and I certainly still make mistakes, but I'm not comfortable with them anymore because I'm actually under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But I hope that when you see on social media that if I put something out that has a Bible verse or something spiritual, you, you're not surprised by it. You ever had that happen? Have you ever known somebody and, you know, you're around them enough to kind of know the way they live their life, and all of a sudden a Bible verse appears on their social media, and you're like, that's surprising. So, so cultural Christians will do that all the time. And, and they do pick and choose when they want Jesus to show up. The problem is that Jesus is not in the middle of their life on a daily basis. He is called into action only when they deem him as needed. Jesus actually in cultural Christianity is presented as a type of historical imaginary friend with some magic powers. Have you ever seen that? You know, if, you ever get, if you ever try to get deep with a cultural Christian about what Scripture has to say, who Jesus really is. Uh, I know Sherry said this in the message that she did uh, that I just told you about, about repentance, and she's right. You know, it's a, and, I, and I did this one time on a, a message where I got to speak at a church around Christmas. If you look at the cultural Christian, um, and, and I don't know if you've ever, uh, it, it, was, it was meant to mock our faith. I've seen the, the clip where, you know, Will Ferrell, uh, who who did this, the NASCAR movie, Ricky Bobby, or Talladega Nights, that's what it's called, where, where they're mocking our Christianity, but there's a lot of truth to it. And Sherry talked about this in the speech that she gave, where he says he prays to the baby Jesus. And, and really, it's blasphemy what they're doing. They're trying to make light. But there's a lot of theology in that, because there's a lot of cultural Christianities that think, uh, a lot of cultural Christians who think that Jesus is still this little baby in the manger. And they love that, and they love all that kind of feeling. And, but, but, but really, I love what Dean and Sarah said. Jesus is presented as a type of historical, imaginary friend who has some magical powers. I know amazing grace, but usually if asked why the grace is amazing, I have no idea what I'm talking about. I'll sing amazing grace. I don't know the background of it. And then somebody says, well, what, what's so amazing about that grace? The cultural Christian usually has no answer. And you've heard me talk about this one a lot. If you want to spot a cultural Christian, and some of you, I felt pushed back in the room because I brought this up at men's conferences before and, and with men, and, and the guys who've been in this Bible study said, oh, I know what he's about to say. But you may be new to the Bible study, so you haven't heard this. But Dean and Sarah actually uses this phrase, and my wife was like, my goodness, do you know this man? I'm like, no, I think we're just parallel thinking because this is true. And we've all heard it, and it's nauseating, and it really bothers me when I hear it. Men seem to do this more than women when they refer to the great I am, the beginning and the end, Yahweh. Uh, I'm talking about the sitting on the throne, and they refer to holy, holy, holy 
as the big man upstairs. If you want to spot a cultural Christian, that phrase usually comes out of their mouth. Well, you know, I don't want to get on the wrong side of the big man upstairs. Well, you know, man, I'll tell you, it's tough right now, man. We need the big man upstairs to step in on this pandemic. Big man upstairs. And let me tell you why we do that. Because I used to do that, too. I, look, these things I did. So there was a time when this book would have been, it would have said, The Unsaved Christian, The Biography of Rick Burgess. Now, what we got to make sure is that this book doesn't say The Unsaved Christian, The Biography of You. At the end of this, if, if, that's, if that's the case, you've got to make a change. But the reason why I referred to the great I am, holy, 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 as the big man upstairs, it's the same reason you do it, or the people that you might know who do it, is because if we take the great I am and we dumb him down to the big man upstairs, you know, kind of a folksy grandfather, you know, with some, with, with some things to tell us about our life that might be of some benefit as he sits on his rocking chair on, 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 on the steps. It's the same thing that blasphemous book, The Shack. Hey, let me look right here. I can't stand The Shack. You know, when my son went to heaven, people tried to get me to, get me to read The Shack. The Shack is blasphemy. And The Shack does this very th- same thing. It tries to take away the wrath of God. Okay? It tries to put God as a cartoon character. And you know why? Because he's easier to sin against. If we make God out to be the big man upstairs or our son crafty woman in, in, a, in, a, in a fictional book, if we do that, then I don't have to fear him anymore. You know, if I can dumb him down to that, then he's much easier to sin against. It's much easier to sin against the big man upstairs than it is the great I am. Who are you? I am. I have always been. What, what, do, what do the angels say about you? Well, they say, holy, holy, holy. I am so holy that if anybody tries to walk into my presence and they're not made fully righteous by the redemption found in my son who I had to mutilate because sin is so nasty, if they walk into my presence, my presence will kill them if they're unredeemed. Well, see, that's a little harder to sin against and you and you cower uh, about that authority a little bit more than you would a folksy grandfather who's a grandpa big man upstairs. And so let's drop all that and, 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 and take the shack and throw it in the garbage if you have it. Just throw it in the garbage. And, and, and please don't suggest for me to read it again. So, uh, so anyway, um, as you can see, that, that bothers me a little bit. Uh, but, um, and let's look at some of the stats that you have here. If you have the, the book, it's on page 14 and 15. Listen to this about the cultural Christianity. So it's well documented that those who claim no religious affiliation called the nuns, it's true that that's on the rise. Between 2007 and 2014, the group of people self-identifying as having no religious affiliation jumped from 16 to 22.8% of the American population. Now, this coincides with a decline in people identifying as Christian, although there is a reason to believe that this is really just a refinement process, not a sign of, of bleeding in the actual Christian demographic. And I'll tell you why. Uh, I think we let people get away with calling themselves Christians when they're not. Well, if you're letting people claim to be Christians who really aren't, then when you survey Christians, you're going to get some very interesting numbers. Like You remember this one. Hey, Christians divorce at the same rate as non-Christians. No, they don't. That's not true. If you take out all the people in that 50% of uh, people who claim to be Christians who don't pass just a simple litmus test, things like, do you pray together as a couple? Are you a member of a church? 
Do you believe the Bible is, is the word of God, God inspired, inerrant? Uh, do, you, uh, do you believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven? When you answer these, ask these questions to a majority of the 50% who divorce, who claim to be Christians, and you weed out anybody that didn't answer those questions biblically, when you weeded those out, you know what the divorce rate you found of devout followers of Jesus? When we take cultural Christians and we throw them out of the survey, do you know how many devout followers of Jesus have actually divorced who pass the biblical test of redemption and following Jesus? Less than 1%. See, real Christians really don't behave like the world at all. The problem is we've got a bunch of cultural Christians who the world says, well, they say they're Christians, and they lump them into all the surveys. So what Dean and Sarah is saying here, yeah, it's true that people who don't claim to be Christians, that number is, is up a little bit, but mainly that's because these people have realized what Christianity really is, and they don't claim to be that anymore. It's a refinement. So let's move on. At the social cost of Christianity increase, those who only have a nominal belief are falling away meaning that they're not passing the test. According to a study of U.S. adults, 80% of those polled believed in God. And here's where we have the problem. So 80% believe in God, but only 56% believe in God as the God described in the Bible. 80% believe, you're talking about the God of the Bible, nah, boom, drops down to 56%. Considering the fact that approximately 70% of the U.S. population still identifies as Christian, we have a large group of people that would likely be overlooked in outreach or missions. With this in mind, and this is what Dean and Sarah says, and I agree with him, I believe cultural Christianity is the most underrated mission field in America. While there is evidence that nominal Christianity is declining on its own, it is of utmost importance that we minister to those on the fence in hopes that they may end up within the fold, not without. Uh, and, and, and what he's saying is, yes, some of this nominal cultural Christianity is falling away on its own when it's pushed. However, when you got 80% people who believe in God and only 56% believe in the God of the Bible, we got problems. And we don't need to look in, inside the church and think to ourselves, okay, well, all these people must be okay. No, we're going to lose a lot of people if we don't start dealing with this within the church, kind of like Paul was talking about in his letters to Corinth. Uh, but anyway, so, um, so those are, are some numbers for us there, uh, and, and you can hang on to those. So getting someone who thinks he is a Christian to see that he or she actually is not, look, we all admit this, and it was when they were trying to do it to me, it is a delicate and a very sensitive endeavor and I will tell you, pray, 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 pray for that heart to be softened because there were many years that God was trying to call me out of cultural Christianity that I would not allow anybody to doubt my salvation. Now, I could not have made the case, as we found out when I finally was redeemed, that there was anything Christian about my life other than I admired Jesus and I believed the traditions of Christianity and I certainly believed the concepts and the intellectual things that were said about Jesus. But my life was not devoted to Jesus or was repentant in any way, shape, or form. So it is a delicate uh, process to get someone to look at this, but, but that's not unique. It's not unique. As a matter of fact, Jesus was dealing with this himself. So let's go to Matthew 7, if you have something with your Bible on it. Some of the most convicting 
verses in the Bible from Jesus himself in, in, in Matthew 7. Uh, Dean and Sarah doesn't start to 21, and for I, I know, uh, but, but I'm going to go ahead and start in 13 because there's some other things we need to hit on about what Jesus said about cultural Christianity, or, or at this time, he's talking to Jewish people who claim to be so religious, but they're rejecting him. But it can be replied to false teachers, making it be applied to false teachers and false uh, uh, disciples of Jesus Christ within the church. So Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the gate is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. Now, the reason why I'm starting in 13 is because uh, Dean is going to make the point, which, which I, is right, about how we find this word many. Okay, so, so look at this many. Um, many are on the wide and easy road that leads to destruction, and, and those who, who are leading to destruction, as Jesus said, are many. So first of all, most people are on a road that is wide and it is easy, cultural Christianity, and it's leading to destruction. Many are. Not, not, not some, many. Th those are Jesus' own words. I talk about this in men's ministry a lot. I think one of the reasons why we can't get men to get involved in the Western church is because we've allowed them to be on a road that is wide and easy, and they don't feel challenged by it, and they don't want anything to do with true Christianity because I think they've been, so, they've been told their whole lives that it's wide and easy and it doesn't cost you anything at all. And, and if we told them the truth, which is what Jesus said next, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So according to Jesus, most are on the wide and easy road, and most are going to destruction. But there's there's a few that go through the the garrow, I mean the garrow, the the gate that is narrow, and they discover that following Jesus is actually hard. And only a few find the truth. If we would tell men, and I, I would, and I do this in the men's ministry at themanchurch.com, we we talk about this all the time. Hey, here's the truth of the matter, and you just heard it in scripture. If you're a man and you're watching this or you're listening to this, following Jesus Christ is very difficult and it is hard and most of you can't do it. That, that's what Jesus said. And, and the reason why you can't do it is because it's totally dependent on him and it requires complete weakness and complete brokenness and denial of self. That's why it's hard. But if you do that and then it becomes all about Jesus, Jesus actually produces in you and produces in me what we can never produce on our own. Here's something else interesting about, well, am I a cultural Christian? Look at the next thing Jesus says in verse 15. He says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. He's talking about teachers there, but it also applies to us who claim to be disciples of Jesus. Look at 16. You will recognize them by their fruits. Anybody remember John 15, if you've been with this Bible study? Connect to the true vine, and when you connect to the true vine, Jesus' power always produces fruitfulness. Fruitfulness and disciples are, are inseparable. If I'm a disciple, I'm fruitful. If I'm fruitful, I'm a disciple. He says, are grapes gathered from thorn uh, bushes or figs from thistles? And the answer to that is no. 17, so every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. And this is the one that hit me. Verse 18, because if you've been like me, you've tried to make the Bible sometimes more palatable. Uh, I used to say that a healthy tree should not bear bad fruit. <clears throat> That's not what the Bible says. Here's what Jesus says. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. So it cannot. 
So wide and easy is the road to destruction, and many are going there. They're deceived. Then I enter by a narrow gate if I'm truly redeemed by Jesus, and that way is hard. Only a few find it, and I find that if I'm truly connected to Jesus, I've been broken, I've been weakened, I've, been, I've, I've denied myself, I've been crucified with Jesus. Now I'm connected to the true vine that if I'm not con- connected to the vine, I cannot bear bad fruit. If I'm really connected to the vine, then I will bear good fruit. So if you're bearing bad fruit in your life, you're not connected to the vine. That Period. And then Jesus goes down to this in 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, listen to the word again, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Okay. Jesus says that the road to destruction is wide and easy, and many are on that road. Here he is again saying, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we did all these things that we put your name on. And he will say, I I don't know you. Now, what does Jesus mean by I don't know you? It doesn't mean he doesn't know their name. Because we know that Jesus knows everything about every one of us. So it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean like, I don't recognize you. That's not what he's talking about. What he says is he doesn't know them spiritually. So how could Jesus not know somebody spiritually? Well, we know that he can see the heart of every man. But what he's saying is, I'm not connected to you because you've never repented of sin. You've never repented of sin. You've never submitted to my authority. And spiritually, we are not connected because your flesh has never been redeemed. And a a completely holy God cannot reside in a place of sin. That's why he had to make us truly righteous, not for our sake, by the way. Now, that's a great byproduct. What do you mean not for our sake, Rick? That's not true. That's not the gospel. The gospel did not make you fully righteous for your sake. He made you fully righteous, and he made me fully righteous for his sake because he's holy. And we, we can't be in his presence if we're not righteous. See, we've turned the gospel around to make it human-focused. The gospel's all about me. No, it's not. The gospel's all about God. It's not about you. It's not about me. The gospel is, is, is God setting things right because he's holy, not because we're holy. We're wretched. So, so no, he made us fully righteous for him. And what Jesus is saying, I don't know who you are. You've thrown my name around a lot. But then he goes on to say, why? Why doesn't he know them? Only those who do the will of my Father. That's what he says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Uh Uh-oh. Now we're back to John 14. If you love me, then you will obey me. What's the other thing we see Paul talking about to the church at Thessalonica? It is the will of the Father that you continue your sanctification that you continue to be made holy. That's the will of God. We also find things that are not the will of God throughout Scripture, and that is what? Sin. Uh, Drunkenness is not the will of God. It is debauchery. Sexual immorality. It is the will of God that you be sexually pure. So 
you really could summarize this. Jesus says, a lot of people say my name, but those of you that keep living in open, perpetual, deliberate sin, uh, are, are, you don't know me because that's impossible. You're, you're a worker of lawlessness. You're presenting a cultural Christianity. You're presenting a false version of me. I don't know you. So, so is, that, is that you? Jesus says these are people that are still in their sin. There's no sign of repentance. They're, they're unforgiven. They're not part of the family. They certainly knew rituals because it says, what does he say? Lord, Lord. He's talking to some of the most religious people. You know, when you're talking about the Jewish culture of that day, spiritual matters and religion and rituals were part of everybody's life. And he said they're saying, Lord, Lord, right? What he's saying is y'all are very good at rituals and you're very good at traditions and you know a lot about them, but what did they ultimately do? They rejected Jesus. I know rituals. I know traditions. But Jesus says, yeah, but you don't know me. You're unrepentant. You're not doing the will of the Father. So I don't know who you are spiritually. You will not be with me. And then the next thing he talks about is the man who builds his house on the sand and on the rock. They both experienced the same hardships of life, but the one on the sand crumbled and the one that was built on Jesus stood. So that's what he's talking about. So this concept of people who claim to be with Jesus but aren't is not a new concept, sadly. So this, this creates an urgency. You know, just because somebody's comfortable with Christian lingo doesn't mean they have an understanding of the truth. Let's say that again. We've got to do a better job with ministering to the cultural Christian, and I was an example of this. There's an urgency here because if I'm comfortable with Christian lingo, I don't really think I need anything. I think I'm good. I, th I think I'm good. And, and see, that, that, that's, that's the problem because that doesn't mean that we have an, an un understanding of the truth. People might, I'll give you a perfect example of this, and, and, and Dean and Sarah talks about this, and he's so right in the book. People might get goosebumps when they sing God Bless America. Have you ever noticed that? I've been around people at ball games before that I know are lost. I mean, I've, I've been at ball games. I've seen the guy in front of me drunk out of his mind, uh, using foul language. But you sing God Bless America? Oh, man, he's got tears in his eyes. He's, he's probably getting goosebumps. But see, the problem is when he's hearing the song, God Bless America, and he's getting goosebumps and he might even sing along with it, the God that they're singing about may function more like a national mascot. I love that line, Pastor Dean and Sarah, because you're right. You're exactly right. There's a lot of Americans that treat God as a red, white, and blue mascot. He, he's a mascot of ours. He, he's part of our national tradition. God bless America. Uh, 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 one nation under God. But you don't have any idea who this God is you're talking about. And can I tell you something? He's not a mascot. He's not a mascot. He's actually a God that demands our faith and demands our repentance. That's who he is. There's a big difference between him and your team's mascot or your country's. He's not Uncle Sam. He's not Old Glory. 
He's the great I am, and he demands our faith and our repentance. And the reason why there should be an urgency here, y'all do realize that if you believe a false gospel, or you know people who believe a false gospel, they're going to hell just like those who have never made that claim. False gospel has eternal consequences. Eternal consequences. It's a really big deal. So here's what I want to talk about before we close today. If you're, if you're, Here's the problem with cultural Christians, and it has to be corrected. And I was this guy, okay? This is me again. Cultural Christians are banking their security in heritage. It's a Christian heritage. My, my, my granddaddy and my grandmama were, you know, they went to church all the time, and it's, it's our family's heritage. Uh, they're, they're, they're leaning on values. We, you ever heard that? We have family values. Well, what is that? I've, I've seen family, and they say they have family values. It's just values they came up with. You, you hear politicians talking about like, family values. That doesn't mean they're Christian values. That doesn't mean there's God's values. Oh, and we're also big on what? Rites of passage. My first communion. That don't mean anything. I was baptized as a baby. Are you kidding me? You think somebody sprinkled water on you as a baby and that made you a Christian? I remember when I was standing in the emergency room after my youngest son went to heaven and I knew it was time for, I mean, if there's ever a time to talk to people about Jesus, it's in that terrible situation. And I remember looking around and I said, I want to know right now in this room, it was the medical team, uh, how many of you are a Christian? And one guy hollered out, well, uh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a Baptist. Another guy hollered out, I'm a Catholic. I said, I didn't ask you if you were Catholic or you were a Baptist. I asked you if you're a follower of Jesus. Have you been redeemed? Because you, you're not going to get anywhere with these labels. Are you a follower of Jesus? And, um, and their eyes were downcast. Can I tell you if that's your first answer? What's wrong with just saying you're a follower of Jesus? Why do you got to throw your denomination out there? or whatever you believe to be the real church or whatever. Why are you leading with that? I mean, can you look at Scripture and say that you're a follower of Jesus and you've been redeemed? So these rites of passage, my first communion, baptism as a child, uh, I went down front once. Look, I, I'm not opposed to going down front. I, I look at Acts chapter 2, and, and, I, and, and, and I see in Acts chapter 2, the first time Peter gets the, the gospel right, and the Holy Spirit is just, is just you know, turning the place upside down. And the people say to Peter, you know, what must we do? The Bible says their hearts were pierced. What must we do? And, and Peter didn't say, I don't know. God will work it out. He said, repent. So there was a response, repent, and then rise and be baptized. Okay. Then that was all there in Acts chapter 2. But, you know, and it even tells us how many people did. So there's nothing wrong and I'm not one of these people that bash the sinner's prayer. I know in here sometimes this is where Dean and I may disagree a little bit. Unless you say the sinner's prayer saves you. Now, if you say that, I disagree. But the concepts of this prayer are in Scripture. Romans 10, 9 and 10 has this concept. Acts chapter 2, I just talked about throughout Scripture, it does say that we are to believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. It does say that we repent of our sin and turn to Jesus. All those things are there. Uh, we, James chapter 4 says, Submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil, he'll flee from you. 
come near to God and he'll come near to you. Confess our sins. It's, it's, it's all there. But if you think you just say these words and it saves you, well, then you're wrong. That, that, no, Jesus saves you, not a prayer. But if the prayer is, includes the concepts of Scripture and you're sincere, then yeah, I know people that you know, went down front as a, as a child and they've lived a, a life that a, of sanctification and they've grown spiritually and, and they live out a life that as a devout follower of Jesus. But I know people like me that went for it as a child and said a prayer and got baptized once as an elementary school kid or maybe middle school and then once as a high school kid and then lived for 13 years in complete debauchery uh, before I was saved. And uh, so I, I've, I've seen both sides. The, the point isn't who's sincere, who's not, because I don't know that. Only God knows that. But you know how I will find out whether it's sincere or not, just like people found out with me. Let's see your life. Billy Sunday said it the best. Evangelist. They had, you know, somebody said to, to Pastor Sunday one time, we had this many people uh, give their life to Jesus today. And you know what Billy Sunday said? We'll see. Hey, do you? Now, that didn't mean he didn't have a time of response. I disagree with people that don't have a time of response. I believe that the gospel demands a response. But I do not believe that just because somebody responded in a certain way, that means it was sincere. The only way you know it's sincere, sincere is how they actually live their life. And we'll unpack that a lot throughout this study. So you can't, you can't bank on rituals and heritage and values. No, no, no. What, what people need to understand is that people can be in the church and still not be of the church. You, know, you, you can be in the church and not, not be part of the church in any way, shape, or form. No matter how much we pretend to be fooled by these type people, I don't know why we pretend to be fooled by them. I think we just want to think it's okay. Uh, I remember I was uh, I shocked someone sometime when someone asked me uh, about uh, a situation with someone that uh, that I'm very close to, and uh, and and this is somebody that I that I would know really well, and and uh, you know was um, and they asked me one time. I said, so so do you think this person is solid in their faith? And I said, no. I don't. And they kind of looked at me because it was the kind of connection where I, I should, I certainly want it to be okay, and it's easy to pretend it's okay, but the reason why I don't think this person is solid is because I know them. And, uh, and, and that was the same thing could be said about me. Uh, and I hope uh, that through my sanctification process, you know, when I was lost, the reason why people knew I was lost the ones who knew, they knew because they, they knew me. <laughs> they knew how I lived. And, uh, and I hope as through the sanctification process, if someone asks people who know me now, do you think that Rick is actually a follower of Jesus? You, they certainly won't answer with, oh, yeah, he's perfect. They won't answer that. I hope that, that my stumbles become fewer and fewer through the power of Jesus as I get closer to him. That certainly has been the case so far. But I hope that my faith has integrity. And somebody say, do you think Rick is, is, has truly been redeemed? And the people would say, yes. Why do you think that? Because of a ritual or his heritage or his grandmama or his values? No. I've seen Jesus change him. Because we can pretend to be fooled by people in our family, people that we know, people who are acquaintances, people we work with. 
We can pretend to be fooled. But Jesus isn't fooled. He isn't fooled at all. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time together, and, and thank you for this um, challenging study. I, I want to just thank you for um, Pastor and Sarah for having the courage to write this book, and I know it uh, for some it has been extremely unpopular, uh, but, uh, but I thank you for the conviction that's brought to my life and, and the affirmation that it's brought on some things that we've been studying in this Bible study for, for a long time now as you continue to refine us and remind us that the power of the gospel in so many ways has been sold so very low. Forgive us for that sin. You know, if you're, if you're someone today, Lord, I just, just pierce the heart. If there's someone today uh, that, that you're, you, you, you didn't even have to get out of chapter one and you know there's an issue in your life, man, reach out to me. I'll help you. Rick at rickandbubba.com. Or, or maybe right now you want to say, look, I've, I'm not, this is not a, a, a ritual. It's not heritage. It's not some sort of family values. Right now, I just want to be broken before the Lord. And, and I will take right out of Scripture, uh, Romans chapter 10, 9 and 10, and I, will, I do believe in my heart, and I want to confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. I want to repent of my sins. Sincerely, Lord, I'm, I'm wretched. I'm a sinner. Forgive me uh, for acting like I knew you when you know that I didn't. Or maybe I never claimed to know you, but today something clicked with me, and I, I think I just something's happening. I want to know you. I, I don't want to. I don't want to start as a cultural Christian and have to work my way out of it. I want to get it right today. But then you, you, you just repent of your sins and say, Lord, I know that you died for me. I certainly don't know how to love you yet. That's why you don't see any obedience. But Lord, I want to be so engrossed with you that, uh, you know, I know you love me. Now you teach me to love you. And, uh, and I pray in the name of Jesus, if anybody's made that decision today and you think you're sincere or you just want some help with it, reach out to me, rick at rickandbubba.com. Lord, thank you for today. In your holy name we pray, amen. Thanks for being with us, and I hope you'll join us again next week. Hey, this is Rick, and that concludes this week's Bible study. Thank you so much for being with us. If you'd like to go back and hear other Bible studies or maybe some that you've missed even in this series, you can find them by clicking the media button at BurgessMinistries.com.